Hello guys, it's me, your resident cage trader, Petros Patsilvus, for your weekly dollop of hot, steamy Nicholas Cage. And this week we will be having a little poke around in the 2005 film, which is Lord of War. I'm not joined by a guest this week, I'm running solo, so I'm going to get into this one. Uh, this is one I know nothing about, so... I'm going to go into it blind. Um, for those of you who don't know, don't listen on a regular basis because Lord of War might be your favourite film of all time. Um, I just go into them blind. So I don't know any film scores or don't even know the length of the film. This could be a three hour epic and I would have no knowledge of what the fuck is going on until it's done. Um, I sometimes check the time, I'm going to admit. Uh, whilst I'm watching the film, just because I'm like, oh, I really need a wee, and uh, let's see how long is left. Um, but, as always, I just want to say up front, could you please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts? That would be great. All of your uh, reviews and that will probably help, I think. I don't know. I don't know if you have to, like, slide Apple a load of money to actually get featured on their, like, homepage or anything like that. I don't know, and I'm not that cynical, neither do I care. I'm kind of doing this whole thing just for a lark. So, um, what else said to talk about? Contacting me. Yeah, you want to contact me? That's, that's fine. Yeah, that would be lovely. Uh, you can email, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. Uh, there's a contact page on the website, which is cagedinpodcast.com. Uh, there's also social medias, so all of those are at Caged in Pod, and that's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So yeah, looking forward to hearing from you guys, or not, in some cases. Um, and one last thing before we take this nice little ride into Lord of War, and that is the Anagram Hunter. Uh, each week at Thomas underscore W underscore Hunter provides us with an anagram of the title of the film I am about to watch. And I try and decipher if that anagram may give us any clues to what we are expected to see in the coming film. And for Lord of War this week, we have got Afro World, which to me, uh, I'm guessing from the DVD menu of just loads and loads and loads of bullets that that might not necessarily be the case i could be pleasantly surprised and this could be some kind of weird black exploitation movie with nicholas cage at the forefront um or that could afro world could possibly be either one of other two things and that is the upcoming title for the because i got high singer afro man's new album in which he returns to form with shit hip-hop uh pop music about smoking marijuana and 12 year old boys like myself at the time will fawn over and go bloody hell he's so subversive i've got to buy the single and i've got to buy the album and i've got to order the follow-up album in HMV on an American import and pay like £18 for it to be absolutely fucking garbage or could possibly be the subtitle to the Eddie Griffin uh, film Undercover Brother Afro World. So there's only one way to find out what the fuck 
that could possibly mean for this film. And that is to get raging with Cage. Feels like I've been awake for days. Watch a film starring Nicolas Cage. Could be shit or it could be fun. Valley girl face off an army of one. Deadpool Cornell, Lord of War, The Wicker Man, Trespass, and so many more. Know how it starts, I don't know how it ends. The first ten are solo, then it's me and some friends. No distractions, no expectations over the weeks. Hear my frustrations. I guess the podcast is about to begin. I'm your host, Petra Plasilevus, and I'm caged in. So, I have watched Lord of War, and um, I kind of feel disappointed that this one isn't fantastic at the same time it isn't a complete piece of shit because those tend to be the more fun episodes but this film is enjoyable nonetheless it's a a cat and mouse story of the rise of an arms dealer by the name of Yuri Orlov played by Nicolas Cage of course because that is what we are here to talk about the career of the man himself it was directed by andrew nickel uh, also written by uh, who had written um the truman show back in 1999 which gave him the nomination for best original screenplay um i feel like it's a fitting thing to say considering we're all here in the hubbub of award season at the moment uh but we're not going to talk about that because another year has gone past and Nicolas Cage has been snubbed like he always is, apart from 1996 when they did a glorious thing by crowning him best actor. (laughs) Um, But it's time to get into what the fuck happened in Lord of War. And um, yeah, as I said, it's this good like cat and mouse between him and a agent Jack Valentine, almost in the mould of uh, Catch Me If You Can, uh, the great uh, Steven Spielberg film, I believe, as well as it kind of has a lot of the traits of like Martin Scorsese films, very much like the um, Wolf of Wall Street or like Goodfellas, that kind of sprawling time and stuff like that. A lot of a lot of time passes very quickly, and just like the whole life of this gentleman it's probably best to say as well that this is a true story it comes up right at the end and says based on true events kind of glad that happens at the end because at the beginning it may have like marred my experience and slightly um gave me some expectations or just left me sat there going it's not yeah yeah like that fucking happens um as well as another film it reminded me of was Blow, starring Johnny Depp, a fantastic film. It's, um, yeah, I imagine that those types of true stories can very easily fall into the same formulaic pattern and mould. But this film obviously follows the exploits of an arms dealer. So, it opens on a sea of bullets on the floor and the camera pans up to who I can only imagine is Nicolas Cage. And he's standing there with a briefcase amongst all these bullets and delivers a monologue down the barrel of the camera uh, straight to the audience, kind of saying some cod philosophy stuff about being an arms dealer and about the story you are about to witness. Um, Then 
straight into a real ropey CGI title sequence of the journey of a bullet from its inception to the hands that inevitably ends up in. Um, There's some cool shots in this though because it's kind of a POV of the bullet. So you see down the bullet, you see people picking it up, you see it popping into cases. Very similar shots that you would find in like a Breaking Bad, those like inventive kind of uh, POV shots of just inanimate objects. Um, And then this bullet makes its journey all the way to... I can imagine it's only like Africa, Sierra Leone, um, into the hands of a militia, and the bullet is fired into the head of a small child. And it is quite quite harrowing, and I imagine says a lot about the things we are about to see. It kind of sets up nice and early that guns are bad, and <laughs> they get into the hands of terrible people who do terrible things. Then, from the title sequence, we are introduced to Yuri Orlov. And he's just um, this kind of bit of a schlubby uh, Ukrainian guy living in Little Odessa in New York City. And we see him living with his family. And he just kind of, you don't really find out what his job is at the beginning. He just kind of just potters around. And one fateful day, he witnesses a mob shooting at the casino opposite his family's Delhi, and it is in this moment that he realizes like people have to eat people also will be killing each other so there's only one thing for him to do and that is to become an arms dealer um, i'm sure there was in the real yuri orlov's life there was probably a lot more deliberation than that but i imagine for the sake of a two hour running time they don't want to waste any precious moments on a kind of stewing it over, showing the other things that came into play in his life that made him have this weird fascination and desire to want to sell bullets. But he gets on the case pretty quickly and manages to sell a couple of Uzis and he likens the first sale of guns after the first time of having sex he says like having sex the first time it's very awkward you don't know what you're doing and it's over way too quickly we all know about that don't we mate um and then he brings his brother in on what he wants to do he says like guns are where it is at and his brother played by jared leto um yeah the character batali He's kind of just like working in the kitchen, not really doing much. And he's like, I want you in on this because I'm going to make us a lot of money. Uh, And his brother, Batali, is assuming that what he means by selling guns is just going to open a gun shop. And he's like, no, I'm going to be an arms dealer because the price of like the margins in just running a gun shop are just not worth it. Then we cut to the Berlin Arms Fair 1983 and Yuri has a run-in with a Mr. Weiss who is a big time arms dealer but he very quickly schools Yuri in that he has political leanings in who he sells guns to. It's not just about money for him, it's about kind of keeping wars going and finding the sides to 
like what he politically believes in, who he's going to give the guns to. And snubs Yuri very quickly. And he's like, hey, you're very much an amateur. Like, get out of here. And Weiss gives him uh, a bit of information when he says about his political leaning. He says, bullets change governments quicker than votes do. And this sits with Yuri uh, for a very long time. Uh, then we like it's kind of barrels through the years, barrels through the eighties. We got a scene in nineteen eighty four, and he's selling guns by the kilo in the Lebanon. He kind of, uh, yeah, the militias had run. Like he he lets you know that when wars are over, it's too expensive for them to just take all their guns back, so they just leave them there. So he just goes in, collects them all up, and then sells them on to people by the kilo like Yuri Orloff I had to uh, take a break from doing what I'm doing uh, and uh, recording this podcast and live an exciting vigorous life out there in the real world guys Um, so I'm recording from here on a separate day so if it sounds disjointed or my mood sounds slightly different then that is the reason and where were we? Lebanon, 1984. Once they had sold the guns at, like, by the kilo, they then see a horrific sight and nearly get shot in the crossfire as children are lined up against the wall and shot dead. Um, Batali has, like, a moment where he wants to get involved and stop the proceedings, whereas uh, Yuri is, like, it's not our problem. Let's just let them get on with what they are doing. And you see in this moment that Batali has a conscience, whereas Yuri's is slipping and fading away as he just gets deeper and deeper into this world of guns and money. He then goes on to explain via voiceover that by the mid-80s, eight of the top ten war zones had his guns, his business was booming and then we cut to 1989 and again via voiceover we kind of see him going about his work and he has this like lock up in uh, like a dockyard in the middle of New York and he has like multiple identities and explains that there are different levels of legal and they are color coded so white is legal Black is illegal. And then there is grey, which is the area in which Yuri operates. And that is like somewhere in between, obviously. And that is where he kind of does his bidding and business. Um, And that like he explains his process of how he uses code names for stuff. So Angel King relates to an AK-47. And then we see him aboard a boat that is uh, being tracked by agents and the lead agent on this operation is Jack Valentine, played by the ever-great Ethan Hawke, um, who I am a massive fan of. Uh, I would probably do a season on Ethan Hawke, but it would probably be a bloody delight for me, so that wouldn't be as much of a punishment as Nicolas Cage. Um, whilst like they're being chased down, by Jack Valentine and his men. 
they change the name of the boat and he explains via voiceover again like how he gets away with all of these operations so like changing the name making sure that in the containers that he has the guns hidden by having a lot of the time like rotting tomato uh no tomatoes rotting potatoes sorry potato potato tomato tomato all of that <laughs> and when they open the freight container a load of potatoes roll out and it's just as they walk away we see that the potatoes roll out of the way and see a case marked m16 this time yuri orloff has got out of the deep water um then Columbia, we see him doing a deal and he explains he has two rules. Second rule, always get paid. And this deal goes south pretty quickly and results in Yuri being shot. Coming to reveal his first rule, don't get shot by your own gun. Um, that night, to get over the um, deal that has gone south... They just do a load of cocaine uh, to the point that Batali just goes missing and ends up just doing a fuckload of like kilos and kilos. He takes like a, a good old kilo of coke to Bolivia and ends up in a boarding house, uh, which I believe is code for a brothel because when he gets there, there is a lot of women that look like women of the night. Um, I don't feel like that is an unfair assessment to make. I have seen the film and I've seen how scantily clad they were and the money that Batali was bounding about. And Batali has lost the fucking plot. He has built a... Built? Uh, he has made a like topographical map of the Ukraine out of cocaine and intends to snort the bloody lot. And Yuri is like... I'm getting you the fuck out of here. We are going home. <clears throat> and I am going to get you sorted the fuck out. He like swipes the cocaine onto the floor. And Batali loses it. He's like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Ends up on the floor scrambling around trying to do it all. Bloody give me that cocaine. Um, Yuri takes Batali back to the US and straight to rehab. Uh, this is one of many occurring scenes as... Yuri takes him to rehab, and just to be a good brother, which, uh, in my opinion, paints him out more to be a fucking piece of shit, he gives Batali a little bumper coke just before he enters rehab. Yuri then comes up with a plan to uh, facilitate events to meet the love of his life, uh, a model called Ava, who he just has, since a young child, she grew up knew him, uh, near him, and he has had this weird infatuation. So, um, for those of you who are looking for dating tips, this is not how to fucking do it. Because his plan is to book out a hotel in St. Bart's, book her as, like, for a photo shoot that does not exist, for a magazine that does not exist, and the only other guest that is there is Yuri. These are super fucking creepy moves. And throughout this, he is like, everywhere she goes, she's having breakfast. He's there. She's at the beach. He's there. And he says like, by the time 
we got on the plane and were heading home, she could look at nothing but me. Yes, because there was nobody else to look at, you fucking creepy creep. Um, and, like, we see that he's just, like, being corrupted by the power and the money. And it reminded me of a quote by uh, the first Baron uh, Acton, John Dalberg Acton, who said, Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is definitely something that I feel is a message of this film, and especially the character of Yuri Orlov. He is being corrupted by the power because by this point, he like is using credit card upon credit card to pay for this lavish lifestyle, and it's just spiralling out of control. And he cares about the power more than the money and obviously he's using that power to even corrupt this poor lovely model who just wants to have a lovely life and he from the get-go just lies to her and it cuts very quickly to their wedding day and we see even from here that things are off to a shaky start there are looks between them like she looks worried like about what he does as a job and kind of says like I don't really want to know. She obviously knows he is into something dodgy and shady. And further cut to 1991. It is Christmas Day. He has a lavish apartment. He now has a child. And he is more concerned with the end of the Cold War than the fact that his own son, Nicky, is taking his first steps. Again, just showing what an arsehole Yuri has become and how just the power, the game of gun running is taking over his life. And we are shown Batali again, who turns up on Christmas Day, fucked up on cocaine with a lady whose name he doesn't even know. And guess what that results in? You got it. Yuri taking Batali back to rehab with that faithful little bumper coke before he has to do his 30-day stint or however long he's in there for. Further again, we cut to 1992 in the Ukraine. Now that things have settled down with the Cold War, it is time for Yuri Orlov to move in and take like what he wants. Because... The Ukrainians were under the uh, Soviet rule. Now it is kind of the Wild West. Uh, Yuri explains to his uncle, who is like a commander in the army, that the old bosses don't care no more because they no longer exist. And the new bosses haven't been appointed yet. So we kind of have a grey area that we can run in and just do whatever the fuck we want with these guns and weapons, tanks, helicopters, whatever the fuck. We're going to fleece this to fucking death and take everything we can. His plans are nearly cut short, though, when um, Simeon Weiss turns up again. We remember him from the uh, Berlin Weapons Expo in 1982. And he is back, and he also wants to do business with Yuri's uncle, but Yuri has already stepped in and is still bitter about those events that happened years earlier. And Weiss says to him, how about we work together? 
and Yuri's responses, I was still like, you didn't want to work with me back then. I'm still like the amateur that you thought I was. How about we don't do that? Um, Yuri then explains how he's a bad name in the gun running dealers. He is just known for like his kind of shady operations and his kind of like he has a black mark against his name. He explains how other previous Soviet countries are also in disarray and are ready to be just pinched of all of their weapons and whatever he wants to take. Um, we then get a scene of Yuri like there's a lot of like scenes of showing how he does his operations. So in this case he has a helicopter that is armed to the bloody gills with weapons and Valentine turns up and in just in the nick of time Yuri has a quick plan and says right strip those weapons off and we can say that these are aid helicopters these are for carting casualties out of war zones and that the weapons are being sold separately. He knows that this is a loophole that he can get away with. Jack Valentine also knows this, but is furious. He is like, you know this is morally wrong and that eventually this will be illegal. You are just getting away on this shifty little loophole. Um, then we see that Weiss is sniffing about again. And Yuri interjects as Weiss, Weiss leaves and says to his uncle, I've bought you a car. That car there, that lovely whatever car it is. Sorry, I don't know much about cars. Um, that is yours. And he said, oh, that's amazing. Because Weiss was just saying how much he liked the look of that car. And in true kind of crime, Martin Scorsese fashion, the moment that his uncle sits in the car, Boom, motherfuckers, he is dead. The car explodes. And that evening, Yuri calls Ava, his now wife, the woman he duped into falling in love with him. And he's just very frosty. And this shows us the cracks that are appearing in Yuri's relationship. And that he is just holding on by a thread to the things that actually could be. Bring him happiness in his life. Not this just like pursuit of power and money and just being a badass motherfucking drug runner then we flash forward to 1995 and the country we are now in is liberia um and he is there to make money selling guns there and he says this is where he makes the most of his money he says africa is the biggest place he does not care about which side he sells to he has no political leaning he just wants that cold hard cash um and the person he is going to be selling guns to is andre baptiste and he is met by his roguish son who is almost akin to almost uh, like a Tupac Shakur West Side gang banging motherfucker gold AK-47 in hand just firing it at will upon the streets of this Liberian village just pumping it into the air at willy nilly. Um, he is taken to see Andre Baptiste 
and whilst talking to Yuri about the deal they are about to do, he notices that one of his guards is talking to um, one of the women that seems to just be on show because what else does a warlord need to show that he is like powerful and successful? Yes, you got it right. A load of scantily clad women. This does not please Andre Baptiste because he just shoots the man dead straight there, point blank in the head. And Yuri is not happy because that gun is now soiled. And he's like, I can't sell a used gun. And Andre Baptiste likes this. He likes Yuri's vigor. He likes Yuri's spunk. And he says to him, that's it. We're going to do a deal. Just like that. Um, and to show his gratitude, he gives Yuri a hotel room to stay in, which looks pretty dingy to me. But he has put two young women in there for Yuri's every sexual pleasure he could want this for me is where the film kind of gets into a weird dicey territory in the uh, the treating of people with aids um he's like straight away he's like no girls no thank you uh you've probably got something get out of my room and he explains that at this point in uh, liberia that i think it's one in four people had hiv uh, or AIDS so he um, sends them on his way and then he, we see that Andre Baptiste has an army of child soldiers and Yuri does not seem phased by this and listens to Andre's explanation of it that like a gun in the hand of a 30 year old or the gun in the hand of a child if that brings dead bodies and that brings dead bodies. There's no two ways about him. Uh, and this is the point where some people would walk out of the cinema because there is a famous, I don't know if it's famous, I know about it, so it must be famous. Um, like kind of groups of people, as soon as the title of a film is said by one of the characters, they then stop what they are doing they put their hands up they stand up and they leave the cinema and this is that moment that real wank wank moment when andy andre baptiste through just his lack of knowledge of the english language says to um yuri you are lord of war and yuri says to him i've no i think i think the term you are looking for is warlord and Andre Baptiste's reply is, I prefer my version of it. Back to New York and Yuri is home to fantastic news that Ava has sold a painting. Because since her acting career did not take off after the modelling as she is ageing, she has now turned her hand to painting. He is ecstatic with this news and comes home and Batali is there yet again with another woman. And in the kitchen... Yuri and Batali talk about how Ava has no idea about the work that Yuri does and that he has an agreement with her that she kind of just doesn't ask about it and he does not tell her and that like many people out there don't tell their wives about exactly the ins and outs of what they do and Batali is amazed and is like wow 
you're really fucking good at this. Um, he then, like, notices the next day he is being followed by the police. There is a helicopter circling him and explains that he has to just get one step ahead of them. So whilst his driver is driving him through a tunnel, he exits the vehicle and says to the driver, just take them for a little tour around New Jersey. I'm sure they'll figure it out eventually and just leave us alone. We then see him at his lockup and the person that had bought Ava's painting you best believe it, it was Yuri. Not only is he just lying to his wife about what he does, he is just buying her painting to make her feel better, which I feel is a bit of a shitty move. Like, uh, I don't know, like, it's just giving her false hope that she is doing something worthwhile and something that she's passionate about, and he's kind of just, like, giving her that false hope. And it's kind of a shit thing to do in my personal opinion um ava speaks to him and like says we've got men going through our bins and those men that are going through his bins are jack valentine and his rag bag ta- team of agents and jack valentine manages to find some letters which i am really surprised that yuri would have shredded letters in his trash at home but he manages to piece back together one of the things and it is kind of like a dodgy sales note or something. Something that is forged and Jack Valentine looks happy because he may have Yuri up there ready on the firing line to take that motherfucker down. Um, whilst over the skies of Sierra Leone, Yuri's plane is asked to land at the nearest airport i was about to say airplane station because i'm a fucking idiot um at the nearest airport and he has to think on his feet of what to fucking do because they are full to the brim of illegal weapons and he says to his driver Uh, pilot yeah definitely pilot not driver he says to his pilot just land it there on that road i've got a plan don't worry we'll figure this the fuck out and then they do it they just land in the middle of nowhere on a road in sierra leone and shortly after doing so yuri's plan comes into fruition the pilot and the co-pilot leg it because they're like we just want to get the fuck away from all of this shit because we are going to get arrested but yuri has a plan and that plan is to open the hold of the plane and just let the locals go wild take whatever they want take the ak-47s the m16s the grenades he's like i've got a special sale going on today guys and that is have whatever the fuck you want for the very very low price of zero dollars rupees pound motherfucking sterling you can have the lot for free and by the time that jack valentine and his agent show up the plane is empty but jack valentine is not a man to just take things sitting down he lectures yuri about what he's doing is wrong he says like the war on like the uh, the 
weapons of mass destruction are not the nuclears, bombs and stuff like that. They are just sitting there in a warehouse or wherever they are, just ready to go. The real weapons of mass destruction, the things that are killing people day in, day out, are the dirty guns that he is selling to people in conflicted war zones and just civil like wars in like war-torn countries like Africa that he just has like no moral compass about and just sells to whoever the highest bidder will do all he cares about is that money and Jack Valentine says you know we can arrest you we can hold you for up to 24 hours I don't may not have anything on you but because it is my right and because in this 24 hours this means that you can't sell another gun and a, a child's life an innocent woman's life an innocent man's life may be saved if you're just here handcuffed sat on a box then I'm willing to do that see you in 24 hours and then we get an amazing scene to show the passing of time of the plane being stripped like he says that jack valentine maybe hoped that the locals would just take yuri and kill him and do what they want with him but they were far more concerned with the plane and he said it's like parking your car in a bad neighborhood and we get this kind of uh time lapse footage of the plane literally going from a full structure to literally the bare bones because the locals just ravage it for everything that they can um yuri is then let free unhandcuffed and arrives at andre's uh weiss is there as an offering for yuri to kill because he had killed his uncle andre is taunting yuri and saying like do this or i will help you do this and takes his hand and puts it over his on the gun and says like all you have to do at any moment if you don't want me to kill him is just say no but yuri doesn't and lets andre pull the trigger and weiss is shot straight in the mother fucking head straight between the eyes later that night in a bar um yuri is given a drug that the locals are using which they call brown brown which is a mixture of cocaine and gunpowder and at first yuri declines he's like i don't think that's really for me but the barman says to him you better take it you better try it because the gunpowder that we use is the gunpowder from the bullets that you sell us and he does and things go off the rails yuri loses his fucking mind and the film goes cuckoo bananas for about five minutes the screen is awashed with blue and he's just tripping the fuck out he turns a corner and sees weiss standing there with the hole in his head speaking to him like i told you i would see you again we see him sleeping with women and afterwards like asking like you don't have anything do you uh, what happened and he is a fucked up and he has this weird run-in with a couple of hyenas and like these guys pull a gun to his head 
but it just doesn't go off and you're like wait wait a second that doesn't normally happen with these guns let me show you what is going wrong whilst yuri is going crazy in liberia jack valentine is a busy boy and uses this opportunity to pay yuri's wife ava a visit and maybe get her cooperation in their operation by using a slight bit of like blackmail or just appealing to her conscience by like showing her an article of how her parents were killed obviously i imagine something she knew already but just playing upon those heartstrings to try and get her to like really take yuri down because he is almost funding and like enabling people to do the exact same thing that happened to her parents i'm sure i overly explained that and you kind of got that from the first thing i said but i said it anyway um <laughs> yuri come homes comes home and ava is just sat naked on the end of their bed in the middle of the night and says i can't wear any of the clothes i just can't do it i can't use any of this can't wear the jewelry can't do anything that in this house because everything is covered in blood because what you do is sell dirty weapons for blood money and he gets defensive and just like ends up saying to her he doesn't care about the money he cares about the fact that he is good at it as we said earlier as um baron acton said absolute power corrupts absolutely and this is the moment that he has gone over the um, rainbow and into the land of fucking cuckoo crazy land and just cares about the power the money is not an issue to him and that is a crazy crazy concept not that money should be the end of everything happiness should be the first thing i imagine for a lot of people but he has fucking lost his mind uh, ava's worried as well that she has failed at everything and says she will not fail as a human and this scares yuri enough to make him go straight for six months he just gets a job selling timber and other things doesn't really go into it that much imagine that that that's not what this film would be i that'd be a pretty boring film is about uh a lumber salesman um and jack valentine is listening into his calls and that and just can't believe it that yuri has turned the leaf and he's doing legitimate business he does this for six months until one day andre baptiste junior and senior arrive on his doorstep and tell him we need more guns and present him with a diamond which just pulls yuri back into the seedy underbelly from which he had tried to turn his back just to find some normalcy and to make his wife and child happy but this job just can't be passed up in yuri's eyes yuri is then ready for the deal and is making his way out and lies straight to ava's face and uh, she says to him uh, he asks her uh apologize do you trust me and she looks him dead in the eye and says yes 
and the voiceover kicks in and says, I knew in that moment she did exactly what I do to every government official and border agent I've ever done in my career. I looked them dead in the eye and lied through my back teeth. I guess she had learnt from the best. Um, Ava follows Yuri to his shipping container and finds that in it is what the government would call a catalogue of chaos. Uh, And amongst that stuff is the painting that he had bought off of her. And when she sees this, we see a real look in her eyes that this is the ultimate betrayal. Um, Yuri goes to visit Batali, who is now on the straight and narrow. He's finally kicked the drugs. He is happy. He is back working at his parents' diner as the cook and has got himself a girlfriend. And... Yuri manages to bribe him into coming in on the deal because he says um, brothers in arms and he's playing upon the family loyalty and manages to pull Batali out to this fateful deal in Liberia. Uh, Andre upon arrival tells him that the deal for the weapons is not with them but he has to go down to Sierra Leone. He's not happy with this, neither is Batali, because they were duped. And during the deal, Batali tries to get Yuri to call off the deal because he sees that in the neighbouring village just over the hill from where they're doing this deal, that people are already being killed. And he tries to pull upon Yuri's heartstrings and says to him, the child that was killed was no older than your son, Nicky. Please don't go through with this. And he quotes back to him, brothers in arms. Um, Batali manages to be talked out of it by Yuri and takes matters into his own hands. Whilst Yuri is sat at the table trying to strike up the final arrangements of the deal, Batali grabs one of the grenades and whilst doing so is questioned by Andre Baptiste, junior who he like stoves his head in with like a rock or brick i cannot remember for the life of me and then throws the grenade into one of the trucks full of weapons and proceeds to do with the next one but obviously this has alerted the guards of the sierra leone uh, (laughs) warlord who shoot him down and just as he is taking his final breaths He's trying to throw the grenade and Yuri goes up to him, picks up the grenade, puts the pin back in, sits down back at the table and finishes the deal for half of the money that was agreed because only half of the weapons survived. We see that Yuri is a fucking piece of shit. Um... He manages to get the body sent back to the USA and ask for all the bullets to be removed from Batali's body because he doesn't want a bullet behind his own brother's chest to be the way that his tower of cards comes stumbling down. And upon his arrival, 
the ATF are there. So, ATF, for those of you who don't know, I didn't know, is the Agency of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms. And Yuri says, I guess it's not about the alcohol or tobacco I've got. And he is taken in, questioned, because the thing that had made his tower of cards come stumbling down was that behind Batali's ribcage was a single stray bullet from a gun that makes its way back through paperwork to Yuri Orlov. And he receives a call from his parents who say to him, we lost two sons today, showing that all of this, not only has he lost his wife, his son, his brother, but his family. He is out there on his own. He has well and truly fucked this up. Um, Valentine comes in and is reading him the riot act. He says to him, like, this is it. We finally got you. We're going to fucking get you down for this. And Yuri is cocky as fuck and tells Jack how it really is. He says that in a moment, someone is going to knock on the door, speak to you. You're not going to be very happy. You're not going to be, like, glad about it. You may even say, I'm going to fucking quit. But they're going to say to you, let this man go. And, like, and, yeah, let this man go, and he will not be prosecuted. He is fine, because the blood is on the hands of the U.S. as well. It is not just him who deals in these weapons, but the US government themselves are one of the biggest proponents of selling guns to countries, warlords, whoever out there. Um, And just as Yuri says to Jack Valentine, the events then take out, just as he said. He is released from custody and is straight back to running guns. And then we are brought right back to that scene that we saw at the beginning of Yuri stood amongst tons of bullets on the floor, him standing there, briefcase in hand. And the voiceover says, secret of life, never going to war, especially with yourself. And then we get a kind of like post credit scroll, well, not post credits, we get like a kind of like all of this was based on a true story along with the statistics of that, the US, the UK, France, and um, a couple of other countries are some of the biggest in selling arms around the world. That our hands are not clean. The government's hands are not clean. As much as you may disagree with the acts of Yuri Orlov, that he is just a cog in this filthy, disgusting war machine. Was it good? Was it bad? Lord of War. My opinion on this film it is a good, like, crime thriller. I like the cat and mouse element of it. As I, like, quoted at the beginning of this, like, uh, catch me if you can. One thing that this film did make me think is, like, made me think of Goodfellas or, like, Casino and... Uh, I said, catch me if you can. And part of me was like, oh, I kind of wish I was watching those films instead. 
because um, I feel a lot more invested in their characters. Uh, I found Yuri Orloff to just be a piece of shit from start to finish. I liked how Nicolas Cage portrayed him, though, because there were elements of pathos and... um, I don't know, you could see glimmers of someone just trying to do the right thing. And obviously I am, well not obviously, but I am a fan of films that portray people as they are necessary, if it's a true story or not. Um, Yeah, I just like to see people painted as neither good nor bad, just that is how they are. I'm a keen believer that good people can do bad things and bad people can do good things uh, a film i watched recently i don't normally talk about other films apart from those starring nicholas cage but was uh free billboards outside ebbing missouri a film which has uh, a character arc in it which a lot of people have deemed problematic but me myself this is my two cents on the matter is that In that film, there are good people doing bad things. And likewise, there are abhorrent behaviours by certain people. And there are also behaviours that are noble and courageous. But does not make the characters in question good nor bad. They are just like Yuri Orloff said about the legality of selling weapons. They are definitely somewhere in a grey area um but moving on yeah i would recommend this film but i would also recommend watching the films i cited earlier instead um nicholas cage again this was a good performance uh it's always a shame to see jared Leto on the screen because i always feel like he's a bit of a charisma vacuum a lot of the time apart from in uh requiem for a dream but that film is to be seen maybe once or twice in a lifetime because just like Jared Leto draining the screen of charisma, that film will drain any essence of joy from your life for the complete running time. Um, so, what do the people of the worldwide web think of this film and this week we have imdb bringing this film in at a 7.6 out of 10 in the higher echelons of the films we have watched we have had some real stinkers but this one is sitting at a moderate 7.6 and rotten tomatoes again not airing on the side of the lower scores this is a 61 percent which in my eyes showing that this is an average enjoyable watch not the best but certainly not the worst Nicolas Cage film and the late great Roger Ebert gave this film 3.5 out of 4 so again favoring on the like upper side of the scores but not the best so what do we have coming up next week we have the weatherman i should be joined by a guest but if that goes ahead that goes ahead and if it doesn't it doesn't it may just be me talking about the 
2005 film, The Weatherman. So, as always, I have been Petros Patsilovus. I have been caged in. You have been rad. Bye. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.